country Treats You know we can Work together and learn what we need To meet the challenge Traditional skills and modern techniques Whatever language you speak You have a world to offer Every day Climb with the ISA Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture Lecture Series. This podcast series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture to bring you the latest research-based information on tree care. We will be providing full-length educational talk by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, keeping you up to date with new developments in arboriculture. New podcasts will be made available about once a month for downloading. We recommend subscribing to this podcast series so you don't miss a single topic. If you have a favorite arboricultural topic that you would like to learn more about, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas, the producer of this series at the International Society of Arboriculture's headquarters in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, the host of Science of Arboriculture, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Today's lecture is by Dr. Christina Wells. She is an associate professor of horticulture at Clemson University in South Carolina. As a plant physiologist, Dr. Wells specializes in research on root systems and tree growth in the urban environment. Today's lecture focuses on the issue of soil decompaction and root penetration. This was originally presented at the ISA Southern Chapter Conference in March 2010 in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd like to start out by thanking a couple people. All the data that I'm going to present today, for the most part, were collected by Kelby Fite, who's now with um, Bartlett Tree Experts. This was his PhD project. And the work was supported both financially and logistically by Bartlett and by the tree fund. So if there are any Tour de Trees riders out there, we want to thank you particularly for helping us do this work. I'm going to be talking today about soil compaction, and I'm not going to do a big review about how terrible soil compaction is for trees, because I think that's preaching to the choir for this audience. Uh, We'll take it as read that compaction is a bit of a problem. And previous to this work, we have not had a lot of products and processes to offer our clients in terms of remediating compacted urban soil uh, beneath street trees and landscape trees. So the work that I'll present today uh, is a series of actually four experiments across the country testing a soil decompaction and amendment process designed to improve soil conditions for root growth and tree performance in urban trees. This is illustrating what happens when soil becomes compacted. So normally soil is about 50% air-filled pore space and about 50% water-filled pore space. Um, That's the pore space component, and the other half of soil is solid material. And when a force compacts that soil down, you lose pore space overall, and you particularly lose the large, contiguous, air-filled pore spaces that allow the roots to breathe. So you end up with a number of problems. First of all, the tree roots can't push their way through this now more resistant soil matrix. Additionally, they're in a hypoxic or low-oxygen environment. They can't breathe. They can't respire. Therefore, they can't grow and take up nutrients. And another thing that we often don't appreciate is that when pore spaces become very tiny the water in them is held very tightly, so tightly in many cases that tree roots can't actually extract that water from the soil. So a tree growing on compacted soil is both prone to additional drought stress, 
because the water can be there, but it's held very tightly and the tree can't extract it. It's prone to flooding stress because the air-filled pore space fills up so quickly after a rain event. And then there's the whole additional stress of not being able to push roots through the soil matrix. So it's a problem. And it happens very quickly. In any human-dominated landscape, we're going to have soil compaction. And it's an easy out to blame the developer, but in some ways, there's really nothing that one can do to avoid this. And that's illustrated by the next slide. So these data are actually from a forestry journal. These are skid trails in the forest uh, as heavy equipment is hauling logs out during a forestry operation. Uh, these researchers were looking at how those skid trails compacted. So here's how the graph is set up. On the x-axis, trying to get my cursor to appear, here we are. On the x-axis, we've got the number of times that that piece of heavy equipment drove over the soil. Now on the y-axis here, Excuse me. Ah, here we are. I'm going to do this with interpretive dance. It's a lot easier. On the y-axis here, the percent increase in bulk density as that piece of heavy equipment passes over the soil. And the thing to notice, before the machinery has passed over, we've got no compaction. After the first pass, number one, that soil, if you read across to the right-hand axis, is about 50% as compacted as it is going to get. And after the second pass of the heavy equipment, the soil is about 80% of its final compacted bulk density value. So it only takes two passes of heavy equipment in this situation to generate 80% of the compaction that the soil will ever experience. So this is just one example, but it illustrates the point that anytime you're doing construction, anytime vehicles and people are moving around on the soil, you're going to end up with soil compaction. There's very little that can actually be done about it. We as arborists then end up um, trying to save trees that are planted into this compacted matrix, and we don't have a lot of options. In agricultural situations, of course, uh, one tills every year prior to planting to improve the physical properties of the soil. That's not an option in an urban environment like this with a mature tree. Obviously, if you go in here until, you're just going to rip up the fine root system of the tree. So we can't do that. Uh, other treatments have been proposed. You're probably familiar with soil fracturing devices like the TerraVent or the Grow Gun uh, that release a pulse of high-pressure air or nitrogen gas into the soil and fracture it. These create fracture planes below ground. Most of the research that has been done indicates that soil fracturing devices have a very minimal impact on bulk density. They create a fracture plane. You can release some materials, maybe liquid fertilizer or biostimulants, into that fracture plane. But in terms of improving the bulk density of the soil profile as a whole, they really don't do much. Another option that we have is radial or vertical mulching. Vertical mulching, taking a series of cores in the root zone and replacing those cores with better soil or compost, uh, all sorts of materials. Uh, the problem here is we have almost no data on whether those processes work. There have been two published papers on vertical mulching. One, they filled the uh, cores with styrofoam and the roots avoided them. And the other one, empty holes provided the same benefit as holes filled with fertilizer material. So very equivocal data on the, the topic of vertical mulching. Some better results were put forward by Gary Watson and his group from Morton Arboretum. And they actually dug out whole trenches radiating away from the tree and filled those trenches with either fresh soil or fresh soil and compost. And they got very high levels of fine root proliferation in the trenches. 
and I think you can see that these treatments I'm describing are treating a greater and greater proportion of the soil volume, from creating little fracture planes to treating individual cores to then treating broad swaths through the root zone. The key to getting good results in ameliorating urban soil conditions seems to be treating as much of the soil volume as possible. And the treatment that I'll describe to you today uh, treats the entire root zone. So I'll talk first about the decompaction amendment program that we tested. I'll then talk a little bit about the experimental methodology, the soil responses in particular, and a little bit about the tree responses also. So what is the treatment we're proposing for declining trees on compacted urban soil? It's a multi-stage process. And it begins with the use of the air spade or the air knife. And I think many of you are probably familiar with this, and probably there are distributors here today in the exhibitor hall who can talk to you more about their product. This is basically a handheld tool that hooks up to a compressor and generates a stream of supersonic air, which it's claimed moves at Mach 2. I've never measured that. Uh, it penetrates and dislodges most types of soil. It's relatively harmless to non-porous objects in the soil, like underground utilities, or in our case, plant roots. Uh, so it's got a history in the gas line industry and actually also military use in clearing landmines. So if it can scrub, blow soil away from a landmine without setting it off, we feel fairly confident that it's also a good tool for blowing soil away from the root system of trees. So in the process that I'll describe today, we use the air spade to loosen the soil around a tree to a depth of about six to eight inches. In our case, we did this in a five-foot radius around the trunk of each tree. Following loosening of the soil, or what I call air tillage of the soil, we then work in organic matter and prescription fertilizer. In this study, 10 cubic feet of composted cow manure was worked into this root zone area, as well as prescription fertilizer materials based on a previous soil test. And we just homogenize that into the soil using the air spade under low pressure. You can imagine that once we've tilled up the root zone and worked some of these materials in, the soil is very light and fluffy and friable at this point and also very liable to drying out. So we do a one-time irrigation treatment, put some water onto this recently air-tilled soil, and then we put a two to three inch layer of hardwood bark mulch to hold that water in. So the process itself, which I'll refer to as AFM, involves A, air tilling, F, prescription fertilizer application, and M, mulching. The idea being to fluff up the soil, to increase the organic matter content and the fertility, and then to perhaps prevent some recompaction and water loss through the addition of the mulch layer. Now, this process is not uh, inexpensive, and it takes some time. We were therefore curious, not only does this process work, but do any of its components work as well as the full suite of treatments? In other words, can we get all the benefits by just putting on mulch or just air spading? That would certainly be a money savings for some certain clients that don't want to go this full route, and it would be a time savings. So those are our two questions. Does the process work? Does it improve soil properties and tree performance? And two, do any of the components work as well as the full treatment? We had anecdotal reports that this process improved performance of declining trees. We didn't have any data. So... I'm going to describe, in general, the experimental setup, and you can first direct your attention to the research question here. What's the effect of AFM and its individual components on both soil properties and tree performance? 
And we wanted to do this work in a true urban environment. So often we end up doing it on trees in a field near an agricultural research university because that's what's easiest to do. But we wanted to take it out into the real world uh, under a number of different urban settings. So we put this experiment in place in four cities, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Uh, We had five treatments. We had control. The trees didn't receive anything. We got AFM. We put the full suite of air tillage, fertilizer, and mulch on. And then we had the individual components. Mulch only, just got the two to three inch mulch layer. Air spade only, just air tillage, nothing else. And fertilizer only, the same prescription fertilizer materials, but just put on as a broadcast application to the soil surface. Because we wanted to be able to make comparisons across sites, they had to be as similar as possible, certainly in terms of the plant material. So what's a tree that we can find growing in urban settings all across the eastern seaboard? That's red maple, and that's the tree that we selected. So at each of our research sites, there were 50 declining red maples on what the folks in charge of the site characterized as poor quality urban soils. They were relatively young trees. That's almost always the case to get a big population of trees. We have to work with relatively young trees because as they get older, you get more and more attrition. Um, So that's sort of one caveat of the study. But let's look at the sites. First site is in Boston, Massachusetts. This is Stonehill College, located right outside of Boston. And this photo here shows what the site originally looked like. It had been a parking lot. It was converted into a lawn in front of this new library building six years ago. Uh, The soils at the site are extremely disturbed, and they have a big gravel component from the previous parking lot, and they're relatively nutrient-poor. So that was the first site in Boston. The second site is here in Anderson, South Carolina. If any of you have driven through South Carolina, this is uh, very close to Clemson University, actually, where I work. We are able to instrument this site very heavily. It is traditional Carolina red clay, And the particular site was the Anderson Civic Center and Recreation Complex. You can see our trees right in the background here during Freedom Weekend Aloft, which is a big hot air balloon festival that we have every year. So these are 15, uh, about, gosh, average DBH, 4-inch DBH trees growing on sandy clay loam with a very high bulk density. Bulk density of this is 1.4. You're thinking that's not so bad. Well, the growth limiting bulk density for a soil with this much clay is 1.6. So it's very close to the bulk density at which roots simply stop growing. We also had a coastal site, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. These trees were growing in essentially pure sand. They were street trees along the Robert Grissom Parkway that had been planted by the municipality as funds allowed, never fertilized, never irrigated, uh, never taken care of after they had been put in place. The bulk density here was quite high also, about 1.7, and the growth-limiting bulk density for a soil with this much sand is about 1.8. And our final site was probably uh, the best site in terms of the health of the trees was the club at Nevillewood in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So this is a golf course with red maples planted along the course. The uh, soil was a loam with a nice high organic matter content and actually not that compacted at all. But fortunately, it did have 50 red maples. So this was probably our healthiest site. Just to review, we've got Anderson. This is Carolina red clay. I assume that many people have similar soil types where they work, so you might want to keep your eye on this treatment through the results section. 
bulk density of 1.4, growth limiting bulk density. This is the bulk density at which roots can no longer penetrate the soil is 1.6. Root growth impairment occurs within 0.2 units of the growth limiting bulk density. So we would assume that root growth is impaired on this site. The Boston site was a sandy loam, had a relatively low bulk density compared to that which would limit root growth there. Myrtle Beach, sandy soil, really high bulk density, almost no organic matter, and Pittsburgh, a nice high organic matter loam. That was the selection of sites. So I'm going to go into a little bit of detail uh, about the soil responses, in large part because that's the manuscript we're working up right now. And I'll talk initially about soil strength. So the number that I've been quoting in talking about um, bulk density and compaction, I've been talking about bulk density, the grams of soil per unit volume, per cc, which we measure by taking a soil core, drying it, weighing it, and having the volume known. I'm going to actually report soil strength, which is a little bit different value. And the reason is that once we get the treatments on, the AFM and the mulch treatment, once we fluff that soil up, and really loosen it, go in to take a bulk density core, and the soil actually recompacts in the corer. Uh, there are a number of soils textbooks that will talk about the fact that very high organic matter soil is difficult to sample bulk density because of this recompaction. So what we chose to measure is something called soil strength, which is a related parameter. Uh, it's not a linear relationship necessarily, and it differs across soil types. But soil strength is essentially the resistance of the soil to root penetration. If soil strength is high, that's not good. It's hard to get through the soil. Soil strength is low, that's optimal for root growth. And the way we measured this is using a device that's often used actually on construction sites where they are trying to compact to a certain value that's required for uh, the engineering of that site. This is called a Clegg impact hammer. And what it really is is a weight inside a tube connected to an accelerometer. So you drop the weight, it goes down through the tube, it hits the soil surface, and the accelerometer measures how quickly it stops. And you can imagine that if it hits a block of concrete, it stops right away. If it hits a bucket of sand, it kind of cushy falls into there and stops more slowly. So that's the idea of what we're measuring, is how quickly does a weight stop upon hitting the surface of the soil. A high value for that is high soil strength correlated to high bulk density, any low value, low soil strength correlated to low bulk density. If you're all thinking, wow, this is so much easier than taking bulk density cores, that's absolutely true, but it's good to bear in mind that this is much more sensitive to soil water content. So it's, it's good for measuring treatments on a single site on a single day, but comparing one day to the next where the soil water content might be different or comparing sites to sites, it's, it's somewhat less useful. Well, with that big preamble, what did our treatments do to soil strength? Many of my graphs will be set up the same way, so I'll take a little bit of time to go through this one. On the x-axis, we've got 2006, 2007, and 2008 data. Treatments were applied about five months before this 2006 date. So this is five to six months after treatment application. 2007 is one and a half years after treatment application. And 2008 is two and a half years after. The coloring of the bars is going to be the same throughout the talk as well. The black bars are the control. We didn't do anything to these trees. The gray bars got the full suite of processes. They got AFM. 
and the white bars are the individual treatments. Just air tillage, just fertilizer, just mulch. On the y-axis is the Clegg impact value. High, bad, low, good. So it's the first thing you can see. Compare the black and the gray bars. You can see that in 2006, not long after we put the treatments on, we've got about half the soil strength in AFM that we do in control. So we were successful in markedly reducing soil strength. Um, you probably noticed the letters on top of the bars. Most of you know this convention. If two bars have different letters, then statistically, those are different values. If two bars share the same letter, even though one might look taller than the other, those are actually the same value from a statistical standpoint. So we are able to markedly reduce soil strength with this combination treatment. And that effect persists. This is averaged across all sites. You look in 2007, we still have a reduction in soil strength. 2008, same thing. There's some recompaction, you can see, but even in 2008, we've reduced soil strength by about a third based on the treatment we put on almost three years ago. So yes, we can improve soil bulk density, soil strength with this combination treatment. What about the other treatments? Actually, just air tilling or just mulching do somewhat reduce soil strength. You can see that on the 2006 panel here and here. But that effect is transient, so that by the time we're out here at 2008, there's no difference between just air tilling or just mulching and control. What does this suggest? It suggests that incorporating organic matter and incorporating mulch after air tillage seems to hold open the soil structure and allow those benefits to persist for longer. So the soil recompacts within about two years when we just air till. When we air till and work organic matter into the soil, the, recompact, the decompaction is maintained for at least three years and possibly even further out as we continue to monitor these studies. So if you are doing root collar excavations and air tillage with an air knife as part of your practice, we would recommend incorporating organic matter into the mix for this reason and for another reason that I'll show in a little bit. Those results were averaged across all sites, but obviously there's going to be a lot of site-to-site -site variability. And I'll just show you one trend. That is that the length of time this decompaction persists is very dependent on how compacted the soil was to begin with. I guess that's not a huge surprise, but pay attention to the top panel. That's Anderson, highly compacted clay soil. Look just at the black and gray bars. You can see a really big decompaction effect of AFM in 2006, and it's maintained right the way through to 2008, a difference of nearly the same magnitude. So in this very compacted clay soil, it only took one treatment to markedly decompact the soil for a long period of time. But then look at the next one down, Boston, which started with a bulk density of about 1.1. So it was actually fairly good bulk density to begin with, Yep, we can lower soil strength, but it goes right back up to control levels within a year. So a second recommendation would be, it's really not too much point in decompacting on an already low bulk density soil. Possibly something of a no-brainer. So decompacting is only one aspect of the treatment. Another aspect is adding organic matter, which we know improves soil nutrition, soil water relations, um, soil structure. We'll look here across all sites in 2007 and 2008 at the percent organic matter in the soil. So we started actually 
averaged across all sites, not too bad, about 4.5%. That's perfectly respectable. But with the AFM treatment, we were also able to raise that about 1.5 percentage points to 6% organic matter. Another thing you'll notice is that just putting on a mulch layer is every bit as effective. So if that's your management goal, improving organic matter on a low organic matter soil, you can get away with just putting on a layer of mulch. People always say there's no silver bullet in arboriculture, and I suggest that actually mulch is as close as you're ever going to get, even though it's not new and not exciting and not expensive. Um, it can do a lot for trees if we can convince people to like the aesthetics of a big mulch ring. So the take-home message with organic matter, yep, AFM boosts it, but mulch does every bit as good a job. So what's the other surprising result on this slide that I haven't talked about? I hear muttering. Somebody's got to see it. Well, I'm going to assume that some of that muttering had to do with the air spade treatment in both 2007 and in 2008. Air tilling alone with no organic matter incorporation reduced soil organic matter. A little bit, says Dave. Yeah, it did, statistically. Um, what do you think is going on there? Respiration? It's probably what, yeah. It's a well-known fact in agricultural systems that when you till the soil, you open up pore space for oxygen movement, the soil's better aerated, and the microbes in that soil that break down organic matter uh, can do so at a faster rate. So you speed up organic matter decomposition when you introduce more oxygen into the soil. So I think our hypothesis as to what's happening here is that when we only till the soil, we actually speed up microbial decomposition of organic matter, but when we till the soil and add organic matter back, we don't see that effect. So that's the other reason why one of the recommendations from this study is if you're going to air till, and it provides a lot of benefits, also work in some organic matter. It's, uh, it doesn't take much more time. The time-limiting step in all of this is the tillage process, not the addition of fertilizer or mulch or organic matter. Again, organic matter results differed across site. So think about your favorite site or the area where you work. Which is it most similar to? For example, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the soil is like play sand. It has a very low organic matter content to begin with. So you can see the black bar there for control in 2007. It's actually 0.9% organic matter. There's almost none there. We can boost that by putting organic matter on through the AFM process or mulching, but it's very transient. It just burns up in that warm, humid, sandy, low organic matter soil environment so that within two and a half years of us doing the study, now there's no statistical differences between any treatments. So if this is the sort of soil you're working with, these results suggest you need to be applying organic matter almost yearly in order to maintain... Um, an increased organic matter level. The, the soil just burns through it very rapidly. And then you see the opposite in the sandy clay loam of Anderson, where the effect of AFM and M, very visible in 2007, every bit is visible in 2008. So the soil organic matter persists a little better, and you would not need to apply as frequently in this soil type. I'm going to talk briefly about nutrients. We added prescription fertilizer at each of these sites. So each site was different. It was based on a soil test. You don't have to look at each one of these graphs. This is to illustrate some general points only. Let's just look at phosphorus to begin with. Very mobile nutrient. 
Black bar is control, gray bar is full AFM process. We nearly doubled the amount of phosphorus through the application of this decompaction and amendment program, so that's great. But the other thing you notice is that putting on the exact same material as a broadcast application of the soil surface didn't raise soil phosphorus content nearly as much. It's not significantly different from control. And in fact, that pattern of when we tilled it in, we saw an effect on soil fertility. When we just put it on as a broadcast application on the surface, we didn't see anything. That's true for all six, all six nutrients up here except manganese. So you can see it in magnesium, for example. Come over to manganese, and that was actually, across all sites, that was the only element that we were able to boost by simply a broadcast application of fertilizer. Uh, so you can see in this case there is a difference uh, between the fertilizer bar and the control. There's some data that suggests that subsurface fertilizer application is more effective than broadcast application, but you can find uh, just as many studies saying it doesn't make any difference. In our case it seemed to make a difference. Possible explanations. There was also organic matter in the AFM process that could have trapped and held and absorbed some of those nutrients. It also could have provided nutrition of its own. Finally, let's look at soil water potential. So this is how much water is available, how tightly it's held in the soil. And in this case, the x-axis is time from the beginning of our experiment in 2006 out to uh, the end of 2007. And on the y-axis, we have soil moisture percent. So this is just how much moisture uh, by volume was in the soil, going from 10% to 40%. Just look at the black, uh, the white bars for now. Those are the treatments that didn't have any mulch. The fertilizer, the air spade, the control, all lumped together. And you can see that those numbers are bouncing around quite a bit. So that's every time it spikes, that's a rain event. And then there's a period of drying down, and then there's another rain event. One thing you notice is that by the end of 2007, we were actually in what the National Weather Service termed a period of extreme drought in Clemson and Anderson, South Carolina. So we were something like 11 inches down on our precipitation at this point, and soil uh, moisture contents are very, very low. Next thing to notice is how much better the two treatments with mulch were doing in terms of water content. So that's the black triangles on three dates in 2006, 17 dates in 2007. We had significantly enhanced water availability for the trees when we mulched. So another reason why mulch, as boring as it might be, is a magic bullet. You can see right here in these data that just a two to three inch mulch layer uh, greatly increases the amount of water available to the tree, particularly during times of drought. So the soil environment was better. Let's just summarize quickly. Here are the parameters we measured for the soil, the treatments, and every time there's a check, this treatment significantly increased this parameter. So you can see that every parameter we measured, we found a significant increase with the combination treatment. If you're looking to do something uh, that's more cost-effective than that, then the one treatment you would want to pick is mulch, because that impacted organic matter, it impacted water content, and it impacted, to some extent, uh, some soil nutrients. The other treatments did almost nothing. And what effect did this have on the growth of the trees? Ah, I always throw this slide in here. A lot of people ask me, when we're directing Mach 2 air at the soil, 
and blowing it into the root zone. Aren't we blowing off the fine roots? And this slide suggests, mm, yeah, briefly, we absolutely are. Uh, these are root length density from soil cores, basically the amount of root in a given soil volume for our treatments, for sampling dates. This is a few months after we applied the treatments, and we can see that there are fewer fine roots in the AFM treatment. There are also fewer in the air spade only treatment, although this result is sort of intermediate between these two. Uh, so there's this transient loss of fine root length that occurs right afterwards. Then, in this is about a year after treatment application, we get sort of a brief compensatory burst of root growth. So now we have more fine roots in the AFM than in the control. And then for the rest of the experiment on out, I don't show all the data, we don't see any differences. This suggests that, yep, you do lose a little bit of fine root length when you air spade, but it comes back. What about what the trees did? So we'll talk briefly about growth, about tree condition, and about leaf water potential. I often say that I think the most finely calibrated and accurate instrument for assessing tree health is actually the eye of a trained arborist. We haven't come up with any piece of equipment that can magically give us a number that encapsulates tree health any better than someone with a lot of experience looking at a tree and sort of giving it a rating. So that's one of the things we did at each site. Several times during the course of the experiment, we had a panel of trained arborists look at each tree. Each arborist gave it a rating. The ratings for the arborists were averaged for each tree, and we used that as a sort of a condition code. The tree on your left would be maybe about a 3, and the tree on your right is about a 10. So AFM improved condition ratings when averaged across all sites, although right here you can see one of the drawbacks to the study, which is that the trees were just a little bit too healthy. It would have been great to have 50 trees that actually, in the control treatment, rated about a 4. Uh, but they didn't. In order to get large enough numbers of trees, we have to use relatively young trees, and even though they're going to be fours in 10 years in all likelihood, right now they're actually more like 6.5s. So we were able to raise the condition code about mm, 0.5 to 1 uh, units through the full combination program. None of the individual programs ever gave us conditions that were higher than control. In terms of growth, we saw growth differences at two sites. We saw it at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which you can see the controls about trees put on about twice the diameter growth of the, the AFMs put twice the diameter growth of the controls. And we also saw it at Pittsburgh, which was interesting because this was one of the few results we saw at Pittsburgh. The soil was actually relatively low bulk density. The soil was high in organic matter. But nonetheless, these trees uh, responded in terms of growth rather strikingly. So we do see an improvement in condition. We do see an improvement in trunk diameter growth at some sites. And we can only speculate what we would have seen if we had been working with older specimen material uh, in a greater state of decline. And that's certainly an area for future research. Then finally, leaf water potential. So you can think of this as how much water is in the leaf. We have to go out and measure this. Uh, right before sunrise with little headlamps so that we get the leaves when they're maximally hydrated. I have to put that in there because my graduate student did this for years and it's really thankless work. Um, you remember from the soils portion of the talk that the mulched treatments, AFM and M, uh, had higher soil water contents, but did that actually translate into the trees having better water status? It did at certain times. So here's 2006 on the left. 
Uh, the different colored lines or the different treatments, nothing differed. The whole 2006, there were a few trends, but really the wa leaf water potential was the same for all treatments. In 2007, when we started to enter that very extreme drought period, so in August and September of that year, we had three dates on which the mulch and the AFM trees had higher leaf water potential than all the other trees, suggesting that they were under significantly less drought stress during that time than the untreated trees. So not only was there more water in the soil, but the trees were actually able to access it. Just highlighting the tree results then, the full AFM treatment gave us improvements in condition, DBH, and water potential. The air spade gave us some growth differences, and the mulch, obviously, increased leaf water potential as well. So this is one study. We could argue that we need to perform it on other species. We need to perform it in other locations. There are all sorts of tweaks that you could make to this process. We just performed it this way. You can imagine trying different sorts of organic matter, different sorts of fertilizer. But I think it does answer our big questions. The first one being, is there any value to this combination treatment approach? And I think there is. And, and I think it gives one a really valid treatment option uh, to market to people who have large specimen trees on compacted soil. It also answers our second question to some extent. That question was, is there any individual treatment that can do what the combination does? And there really isn't, but if you have to pick one, it's going to be mulch in this case, according to our results. And certainly, we'll keep following these trees, particularly the ones in Anderson that are close to us, uh, over the long term to see what we find. But I hope at least that that is somewhat useful to you when you're thinking about how to um, market soil treatments to your clients, not just above-ground treatments. Certainly, we know that the average lifespan of an urban tree is seven years, and most of that mortality has to do with root and soil factors. So here is an option um, that would give you sort of something in your arsenal for addressing soil problems uh, that has some data to back it up. So thanks so much for your attention. I'd be very happy to answer any questions. Uh, David is asking, you know, a lot of us aren't working with tiny little maple, we're working with big declining specimen trees. How far out do you treat? And do I think that it would have the exact same benefits as what I've shown here? Our rule of thumb for this study was one foot of treatment radius for every inch of DBH. So you can work with that. It may be hard to argue with homeowners to get that big of a radius for a large specimen tree. Would the results be the same? That's not really something that I would want to speculate on beyond saying that these trees were relatively healthy. The question with a larger tree will be the balance between, yes, it should respond more because it's under more stress, but because it's under more stress, it may be less well able to deal with like that transient fine root loss that we saw. So I think applying this to large specimen trees is an important area of research. The problem is getting enough of them to get significant differences so that we can actually draw firm conclusions to share with you. But I would suspect that you know, we'd see similar suite of differences with big trees. Sure. Was What about the long-term potential damage to the woody root system? Certainly, if the bark is compromised in some way already, when you direct that airstream at it, you could blow off bark. You could increase uh, the potential for organisms to infect the roots. Just working from my own anecdotal experience with the air spade, we haven't had that problem. We haven't seen that we're blowing chunks of bark off the, the roots. We certainly haven't seen any loss of what would be considered woody roots, even down to just one or two millimeters in diameter. But certainly any treatment that removes bark is providing a pathway for infection.
This concludes Dr. Christina Wells' discussion on soil decompaction. If you would like to learn more about soil decompaction or root penetration in the urban environment, you can find additional materials at the ISA website, including the CD, Introduction to Arboriculture, Soil and Water, and the book, Up by Roots, Healthy Soils and Trees in the Built Environment. If you'd like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this lecture is SA7719. Again, SA7719. If you have other topics that you would like to provide a podcast for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another Science of Arboriculture. In every country, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge Traditional skills and modern techniques Whatever language you speak You have a world to offer Every day Climb with the ISA